0: Okay, well, I am really excited today because we are starting a brand new series all about the Creed. Now, I'm not talking about Assassin's Creed here, but Apostles' Creed. We're going to be looking at the Apostles' Creed over the next few weeks together. And uh, I just, we, I, we started out the year uh, setting out a vision of a key verse Be still and know that I am God. And This Apostles' Creed is another way that we can help facilitate that. By declaring the words of this creed and by dwelling on it, it enables us to be still and know that God is God. Because actually this creed, as we will see when we look look at it, is very much about declaring who God is. And it's a declaration that is hundreds of years old, probably first came about in the second century, and has been declared by Christians around the world Ever since. And it's one that brings unity. It, it's one that declares truth. It's not scripture, so we don't hold it on the same level as the Word, but it is based on what the Word of God says. It is a summary of some of the key aspects of who God is and the outworkings uh, of what He does. And uh, it was brought about based on the teachings of the apostles. They were the, the early followers of Jesus, the disciples. To summarise what they said, it was brought about to counter some of the errors that were kind of being talked about uh, in early church history, and to 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 tackle some of those heresies, keep people on the on the kind of the the path that they had set out on without deviating. But also, it had become very early on, it became part of declarations that people made, confessions people made at baptisms. So they would, where they would recite this uh, this creed as part of their declaration. Uh, during their baptisms, so we're going to look into this. And depending on your background, if you grew up in other church denominations, maybe you, particularly if you grew up in the Anglican uh, background, the Church of England, or some of the other uh, longer-standing churches, then you may have been used to saying these. Uh, and certainly, that was my background. I grew up in the Church of England, and we used to say that, that this creed regularly. And the danger can be when you say something over and over again it can just become, you're saying it by rote and you don't really think about the words of it. And that's true of anything really, isn't it? If you just do something over and over again, you stop and you miss the significance. So I want to say first of all, this creed is not boring. Growing up in the CV, I thought of it as something that some more words we had to get through before the service could finish and we could get home. And I'm hoping that by dwelling on this and looking at this again today and over the next few weeks, we will see it is so rich in truth. There's so much good stuff in it, and, it, will, and it, does us, it does us good to ponder, to declare it, to dwell on it. But it's not magic either, okay? It's not a special incantation, we can say, to conjure up and to get God's goodness. So I just want to give those caveats to start with. It's not boring, and it's not magic, but it is rich in truth, The creed matters, the words of this matter because doctrine matters and it's important we know what we believe and and what we're about as Christians. Obviously if you're not a Christian here, you may not feel comfortable with these words but we would hope that you would listen and and just be open to what it might say and maybe it will speak to you and think, maybe there is something in this. So what we're going to do, I'm going to read it out now and then we're going to explore it a bit and what we're going to do each week During this series, we're going to read it together. So I will save that towards the end of what I'm going to say. So once I've explained it a little bit more and looked at certainly the first bit. But I'm going to read it to you and you can just let these words wash over you if you like. Hopefully you should have also received when you came in a copy of the Creed, which you can take away with you, um, and also a copy of the preaching series, so you know where we're going to be going with it. and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So it's a really God-centered, God-focused declaration, and as you saw there, it kind of falls into three sections. It's Trinitarian Uh, if you like, to use a fancy long word, which basically means it talks about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to do over these uh, next few weeks is we're going to take chunks of the Apostles' Creed and look at what each of those bits mean. Uh, And we're going to refer along the way to another creed that has been around for a long time called the Nicene Creed, which some of you might be familiar with as well. And that was written somewhat later Uh, And and a bit fuller, a bit more detail in it. So as we go, we'll mainly be using the Apostles' Creed, but we will refer to the Nicene Creed because it fleshes out some of these bits as well. And today we're going to take our first chunk, which is all about God the Father. The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And as the Nicene Creed puts it, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. So we're going to take today's chunk in chunks, lots of chunking going on here, and we're going to see what it's saying and how it might apply to our lives today. So first of all, we're going to work our way through, and the first bit we get to is, I believe in. I believe in God Almighty. I believe in. Now what we're saying when we say I believe in, and you'll notice that each of the three sections start with I believe in. We're not just saying we know it, but it's a personal thing. I believe. That so the nicer increases we believe, apostles, I believe. It and that's essential because as no one can be a Christian just by association. It's all about each one of us determining whether we're going to say yes to Jesus. It's a personal relationship. And so we say, I believe. I am going to make this decision. It's not about our upbringing, but it's a conscious decision we each have to come to, whether we want to believe in God the Father and so on. And it's a statement of trust. It's not just about knowing facts. You know, we can all believe certain things... We can believe that two and two makes four, but we believe in something. It's about putting trust in something, putting your faith in something. If you like, it, we can know something in our heads and reciting facts about all sorts of things, but that's different than believing in something in our hearts, trusting in it, leaning on it, that leads to action. So when we're declaring in the Apostles' Creed that we believe, I believe in, it's saying I'm putting my trust in whatever's going to follow afterwards. It's not just a fact to recite. You know, I can think, I, can, and I, could, I could say, I know this chair is built in such a way to hold me when I sit on it. But that's just a fact until I actually make a commitment and sit on it. And then I'm believing in, I'm putting faith in the fact that the chair will actually hold me. Okay, so it's only at this moment I am going from knowing to believing in. So when we're declaring, as we do in this creed, that I believe in, we're saying, I'm actually going to lean, I'm going to trust in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and so on. It's actually going to have an impact on my life. It's not just words to say, but it's words. Ways of thinking and believing that lead to behaviour. So, I believe in... Well, what do we believe in? This is what the Apostles' Creed goes on to say. I believe in God, or as the Nicene Creed puts it, one God. What or who? God. Belief in a being who's always existed. Genesis 1.1, right at the beginning of the Bible, says, in the beginning, God God was there in the beginning. He's always existed. Do you know what? The Bible, it's very interesting. There's so many debates happen about whether God exists or doesn't exist, but the Bible never enters into that. It just assumes God exists. Get on with it. He's there in the beginning, God. It's such a stark contrast to the many worldviews around us. In contrast to atheism, atheism that says there's no God. It's just a material world. It's all everything happens just by chance. It's just random. That's what many people around us would declare. It's in contrast to, to, to polytheism, belief in many gods. You know, when when the the book when Genesis was written, it came to the Hebrew nation that was surrounded by nations that believed in many, many gods. We see it in ancient history, you know, the Greeks. Believing in, in all this whole group of gods that, that had different responsibilities, or the Romans, the Egyptians themselves, who the, the Jewish nation had to flee from. They believed in this whole realm of different gods. Various religions today believe in this, this, this many gods around. Belief in one God is indeed held by many people, actually, around the world. Not just Christians, but Jews and and Muslims would also say there's only one God. But it is rejected by so many people, isn't it? So many people in our workplace, so many people down our streets would say, no, belief in, in, in a God, that's crazy, it's ridiculous. And it can be tough to make such a declaration. It can make us stand out and come across as weird. What You really believe there's a God? And this was true for the people throughout Scripture. We see that that they had to make a stand. I believe in God. Phil Moore, in his book *Straight to the Heart of Genesis*, puts uh, uh, talking about this kind of this contrast between uh, the the Hebrews, who we live in the heritage of, and and the nations around them. It says this: the Hebrews have been born into slavery in Egypt under the pompous propaganda of the insecure pharaohs. They had been brought up on the culture and stories of Egypt and at times had been tempted to worship Egypt's gods themselves. They had been taught to address Pharaoh as my Lord, my God, my son, the sun in the sky, and that the history of the world was really Egypt's history. Then God gave them Genesis, which told them a scandalously different story. It claimed that the world did not in fact revolve around Ra and the many other gods of Egypt, The universe began at the command of the only true God, Yahweh, the same God who had just delivered them from slavery. It urged them to distrust the lies they had heard from the mouths of their former slave masters in Egypt and to listen to God's story of how they got there, where they were, uh, and why it mattered. And this, this account is picked up throughout Scripture. We get it in Exodus 20 when God is giving... The Ten Commandments, the very first commandment says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before or besides me. And then a, a, a saying that the Jews even today still declare, the Shema, based on Deuteronomy 6.4, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So it may be different than many around us, but this is what scripture says. There is one God, God. And who is this God? What is he like? The Apostles' Creed pulls out some things which we're going to pick up on as we go through it. The Bible obviously declares attributes and characteristics of God. And it's important we take time to know him. In preparing today, I came across a book that we have recommended many times before, and i just astounded at how good it is again. It's crazy when you come across a book and you know it's good, but then you get into it again. And I just want to flag this one up. It's called Incomparable by Andrew Wilson. Uh, it's not a new book. In fact, it's uh, about 10 or 11 years old now. But it's a brilliant book looking at the characteristics and attributes of God. You know, if we're people who want to be still and know that god is god this is something that is a really great tool to do that because what andrew does over 60 chapters he looks at different things about god let me just read some of the the, the chapter titles for you god exists god the beginning god the creator god the craftsman god sustains goes on names of God: yahweh i am who i am yahweh will provide yahweh your healer looks at the different people and the persons of the trinity Looks at attributes of God, such as the knowledge of God, the greatness of Yahweh, the wisdom of Yahweh. Really, really great for delving in and exploring who God is. Let me just read a bit from the chapter called God is Incomparable. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to describe God? If someone was to come up to you and ask you to explain what God is like, you would probably end up listing things which are true about him, that he is good, powerful, holy, and so on but without really describing him at all that well. Teachings like the Trinity and Jesus being both fully man and fully God are impossible to explain properly. Even little children can ask you questions about God which you cannot answer. And this can be quite infuriating, especially if you're the sort of person who likes knowing everything. God is literally indescribable. The reason for this is simple. We describe things by comparing them. We explain unknown things by referring to known things. If you were to ask me what turkey tasted like, I might say it was like chicken, only darker and richer. If you had never eaten turkey, I would say it was like duck, only less fatty. If you'd never tasted poultry before, I might compare it to another meat like lamb, only much lighter and softer. Somehow, I would find a way of explaining turkey in terms of things you had previously come across. That is the way we explain things. God is like this, but much, much more so. He cannot be compared to anything or anyone. In fact, comparing God to something always ends up limiting him. Yes, he is larger than the mountains, but he is so much larger that the comparison is pretty meaningless. Yes, Jesus shines brighter than the sun, but he is so much brighter that the picture doesn't get us much closer to understanding him. Nothing in creation can be compared to God without it making God seem far smaller than he is it's so important that we take time to dwell and to think about god yes we can never fathom him completely but we the bible says we can get to know something of who he is and the more we do the more we're led into worship and awe and assurance as we walk our lives and live our lives uh, in humble submission to him god cannot be put in a box It's not our job to control or to judge God. Again, the language the Bible uses in in talking about God and us, talks about God being like the potter and us the clay. The clay doesn't tell the potter what to do. And yet so often we can do that with God, can't we? We can say, God, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. God is God. You know, when we declare, I believe in God, What we're doing, not only are we declaring that God is God, but we're also declaring we are not God. And I think it's so important that we regularly do that. It's so tempting, isn't it, to, to think we're all it, it's all about us. We need to keep reminding ourselves, no, there is a God. He reigns eternally. And by his grace, we're called into his family as sons and daughters, but we are not God and we will never be God. So when we declare, I believe in God, we're saying, God is God. We are not. So let's pick up a couple of things that the Apostles' Creed says about God, even in this very opening sentence. I believe in God, the Father. Wow. What a place to start. What a place to start. Those of us who know something of God, would we have picked that word as the very first thing, as an outflow? I believe in God, the judge. I believe in God, the creator. I believe in God, dot, dot, dot. But the apostles, creators, I believe in God, the father. There's a danger we can become over familiar with the word father. We lose the significance of calling God father. You know, maybe the experience of our own fathers. Clouds And some of us might have had very difficult fathers, difficult upbringings. And it can certainly influence the way we think about when we think about God the Father. Even the best dads in the world, none of them are perfect. Also, the way the world generally presents fathers in the media, they're not generally given a particularly good image. And it can erode our understanding of fatherhood. And it's really important that we come back. Well, what is it saying when it says God the Father? Is it referring to some faulty figure, some some distant character that doesn't engage in the children's life? No, that's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about God the Father. Our Father is an everlasting Father. He's always been Father God. There's never a time where God hasn't been Father God. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15 puts it like this. He is the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. God is the Father. He's the first Father. And everyone else's fathering comes after that. He's the, he's the, the mould, if you like, that others come from. God is not like a father. He is the father. And what does that mean? Well, it means he's the source of life. All life flows from God. As we'll see later on in this very sentence in the Creed, everything flows from him. And what's more, for those of us who are Christians here today, He's adopted us into his family. So he's not just a general father, but he becomes our father. We become his sons and daughters. One of, the, one of my favorite verses in scripture, 1 John 3.1 says, see what great love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Just let that sink in for a moment. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. If you're a follower of Christ here today you are a son or a daughter of God. Lavished with his love. You might not think much of yourself. You might be questioning all sorts of things about your life. But scripture says you are loved with a love that the Lord God lavishes on you and you are his child. He dotes on you. you know, we've been, the, the, the songs that we've been singing this morning, this is, it's continuing now. Almighty God, Father God, he's singing over us. He's singing over you. If there was no one else in this room, he would still be singing over you. God, our Father, knows every need. And he provides for us. Jesus taught quite explicitly about this. If you want to look it up, Matthew 6 and 7 will tell you. He says, when you pray, your Father knows what you need. And later in, in, in the next chapter, chapter 7, he says, you know, like a father, he, he loves to give us good things. So our father, he knows our every need and he, and he provides for us. He's a good dad who gives good gifts. He's attentive. It's like he's listening. Yeah, what is it you want? He knows anyway because he's God. But he's listening in, he loves to hear our requests, and he loves to act. And what's more, he's able to act too, as we'll see. Many of us, a few years ago, went through a course called Freedom in Christ. And uh, the first three sessions came with various statements based on Scripture that we were encouraged to read out and declare. And one of those set of statements was all about God being Father God, and I've got some of them on the table at the back. If you haven't got your own set, if you weren't around when we did that, you can help yourself. It's called My Father God. And uh, it's these yellow cards you'll find by the biscuits at the back. So, you know, taste and see. God is good. and Biscuits might be too. <laughs> My Father God. And it, it has statements like this. I'm just going to read you a few to whet your appetite on this because they're amazing. This is what the Bible says about Father God and his attitude, his thinking towards us. And what it encourages is to renounce lies about how we might think about God and declare truths. It says things like, I renounce the lie that my Father God is distant and uninterested in me. Because that's not what God's like. That's not what Father God's like. Instead, Father God, I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is intimate and involved. And that's based on Psalm 139. I renounce the lie that my Father God is absent or too busy for me. Maybe some of us have had dads that were like that. Their work took them away. Maybe they weren't intentionally, but they were. That's not what Father God's like. Father God is always with me and eager to be with me. I renounce the lie that my Father God is mean, cruel, or abusive. I joyfully accept the truth that my Father God is loving and gentle and protective. You know, if you struggle to see God as Father God, I strongly recommend getting truths like this in you, declaring them. You know, you you could do worse than start the morning by looking in the mirror and declaring these truths over yourself. (coughs) Being able to declare, I believe in God the Father, changes our identity. You know, we all need that relationship. We need that affirmation that we are loved and known by God. He's built that within us. You know, the incredible thing, Jesus, God's son, as we'll come on to next week, one of the events that's recorded early on in the Gospels is he got baptised himself. And when he came up out of the water, a voice from heaven declared, God the Father declared, this is my son. Whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We all need to hear that declared over us. And it's God's delight to do that. This is my child. This is my son or my daughter, whom I love. With him, with her, I am well pleased. What an amazing thing. God declares that over us. So I believe in... God the Father, but it doesn't stop there. There's not a full stop there. It goes on. gets even more amazing. I believe in God the Father, Almighty. Almighty. We need to know this too. Otherwise, our understanding of God is unbalanced. You know, you think about the Lord's Prayer. Many of us know the Lord's Prayer, the, the prayer that Jesus taught, the opening line of the Lord's Prayer Our Father in heaven. Jesus taught that balance. We need to know is God the Father, but we also need to know, He is Almighty. If we only know God the Father, He becomes Almighty. Jeremiah 32: 18 and 19 says this, "O oh great and powerful God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes, and mighty are your deeds." Isaiah 40, 26 says, Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Just think about the words of that verse. He who brings out the starry hosts one by one. That means the stars. That means the planets. That means the things that orbit up in space. The things that are out there far flung that we only see a tiny percentage of even with telescopes. Who call, he calls them each by name. My goodness, that blows my mind. How can you possibly even know all those names? I struggle to remember everyone's name in here. God knows the name of every single twinkly thing in the sky. And not one of them is missing because of his great power and strength. Wow. Almighty. Some of us maybe need to dwell on this aspect of God. Almighty. Almighty. For me, one of the things that helps is dwelling on creation and nature. And I, again, another book I rediscovered on my bookshelf, The Heavens Proclaim His Glory. This is a fantastic book that takes images from the Hubble telescope, so awe-inspiring photographs of, of different things, different nebula and all sorts of things that Nick can tell you words of that I have no idea what they mean. But there, there's pictures that help for those of us who don't know such words. But what words are in here as well are scriptures and quotes from different people who are worshippers of God and it captures you up. But you don't have to use a book. You could just go and stand out on a clear sky and look at the stars, knowing he brings out those one by one. He knows their name and not one of them is missing because of his great power, at work, sustaining them, giving them life if you were. I believe in God the Father, Almighty. You know what the Bible says about those stars being put up there? Oh, he also made the stars. <laughs> so you just love the understatement in that. Oh, yeah, he also made the stars. Almost oh, I forgot to mention those. He's in control of all things. He can't be limited or measured. In fact, all powers and authorities, nothing, you know, incomparable. Nothing compares him. In fact, all of those powers and authorities that we ever have encountered and ever will encounter, however big and strong and mighty they might think they are, they're nothing. And all of them only have power because God has allowed them to have power. This is the God who we are declaring. When we declare, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, that's who we're talking about. You know, this combination, Father and Almighty, what an amazing, wonderful, mind-blowing thing. As I heard a preacher say recently, our God is infinitely powerful, but intensely personal. Infinitely powerful and intensely Personal. That's Father God that we're talking about. Such assurance. We can pray with confidence. As Jesus said, our Father in heaven, we're coming to Father God who's also almighty. He is not only willing to act, which the Father God would make us think, but he's also able to act because he's almighty. Whatever it is going on in your life right now, whatever it is you're struggling with, when you come to God, you're coming to Father Almighty. Infinitely powerful, intensely personal. So the creed goes on to expand a little bit more about this Almighty. I believe in Father God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. God is behind it all. God is behind it all. Every culture has its own creation story. Everywhere you go, all through history, all around the world now, every culture has a creation story. Whether they want to tell you that or not, they do. Everyone believes about something about the origins of the universe, of people, of the world. You go back to ancient Mesopotamia, and they they believed that their god Marduk killed the ocean goddess Tiamat and created the universe from her severed remains. A pretty gory belief system. Or the Egyptians, the ancient Egyptians. Their creation story was that Artem, the god, created uh, the world from a mixture of his own spit, snot, and semen. Exactly. Do you really want to think you came from that? Hmm. You know, our culture, if you asked the general, if you asked kind of person down the road... Yeah, they would have their own thoughts about how we came about, how the world came about. Lots of them would say, well, it's all just random chance, isn't it? (laughs) Just one thing bumped into another that set off a spark that led to this. Yeah. The Bible tells us a very different story. You'll be pleased to know at this point I'm refraining from doing a rap for you. When I used to teach primary school children, we used to look at the Christian story of creation. And to try and make it a bit more exciting, I did it as a rap. Not written by myself, but a good friend of mine. I wasn't, wasn't a rapper. The rap was good, but I wasn't a rapper. Ask Joshua about it, and he'll tell you he was in the class when I did it. <laughs> wasn't impressed. Had the baseball cap on back, wasn't everything. But anyway, Genesis 1.1, I've referred to already, says, in the beginning, God, what did he do... God created the heavens and the earth. Everything. He created it from nothing. That's what scripture says. So we'll say, oh, I can't possibly believe that. How can you possibly? Well, if we believe God is God and God the almighty, the all-powerful one, the omnipotent one, the one who can do all things, why can't he do it? So the moment we say, well, I don't believe in God, then I've got to come up with other ideas. But if we believe there is a God, of course he can do it. The Bible starts very beginning. In the the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Towards the end, the very last book of the Bible, Revelation Revelation 4.11, says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You created all things. Now, in my understanding of the word all, it means all, everything. Nothing left out. All is all-inclusive. He made everything. And throughout Scripture, it's dotted in over and over again, reiterating that God is creator. John 1, 3 puts it like this. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So whichever way you look at it, God is creator of all things. The seen and the unseen, as the, the Nicene Cream puts it. It's not just the visible. God made the material, yes, but he also made the spiritual. He is behind it all. He is the source. As Father God, he's the source of all life. Visible and unvis- invisible. You know, there's lots of debate on, well, how did it happen? Was it six days? Are we talking about six actual days? Are we talking about time periods? Well, the Bible isn't really focusing on the details. The main message of what the Bible's trying to get across is that there was someone behind it. Who and why it happened rather than how. God created the heavens and the earth. He created all things. Why? Because he had a purpose for it. It was an overflow of who he is. He didn't need us. Some people say, well, God made us because he needed, he needed us. He was lonely. No. God was in community, as, as you look at the full creed says. Three persons in the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They've always existed. There's always been community. And it was from this overflow of love and community, he created everything, including you and me. What wonder. You know, when creation can really inspire us in our awe and wonder of the creator, who said, you know, you can look at books, you can watch wildlife programs, you can go out and get into creation. When you consider the scales, the vastness of space, and yet the details of an amoeba. The range. He is creator, but he's also craftsman. Awesome. Knowing and believing in creator God, what an impact it has on our lives when we make that declaration, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. It counters materialism, the idea that it's all about matter, all about physical things. There's nothing more. Because actually where that leads to is that, well, what's the point of anything? We have no value. We're just bits of stuff as everything else is. But knowing that God created and had a purpose for you and me and for everything, wow, what a difference it makes. Also, it counters pantheism, another long word, which basically just means believing that there's spiritual in everything, that God and spirituality in everything, which is the teaching of of many places even today. But where that can lead is, well, if you have a, a request to make, of something beyond yourself. Or if you've got a complaint, well, where can you go? Because we're all just one, really. Well, who are you complaining or moaning to? Or who are you making requests of? Well, no one, because we're all just one. And it also can lead, well, there's not really any such thing as good and evil, really, is it? Because we're all just one. So where do you have any standard? How, how, how can anything ever be dealt with sufficiently? How can there be any sense of justice? Well, there isn't, because you're all just one by declaring i believe in creator god we're saying there is a god who out of the overflow of community he created and he has a purpose and there's a sense of right and wrong and there's a value to each and every one of us and everyone we encounter hmm So the Apostles' Creed, in this opening sentence, it summarises the Bible's teaching. Our God is infinitely powerful, yet intensely personal. Very quickly, what does that mean then? Well, hopefully I've flagged up along the way. Some some outworkings for us as that means, but just some ways that we might apply it. Another very old declaration that was written, not quite as old as the Apostles' Creed, but uh, the Heidelberg Catechism in 1563 looked at addressing some of the questions associated with creeds like this. And it was done as a series of questions and answers. So we've got here, this next slide, question 26 refers exactly to the statement we've been looking at today. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? And this was the answer. It's a fantastic summary of what I've been trying to get across. Well, we believe that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of his Christ Son, of Christ' Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as almighty God and willing also as a faithful father. So I would say as we consider this first chunk of the creed, the Apostles' Creed, well, what does this mean then, declaring I believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth? I believe it gives us a reassurance. A reassurance when we come to him in prayer, when we live our life, that we we are walking with a God who is incredibly powerful, infinitely powerful, but intensely personal. It gives us a sense of symmetry as well, because I think for most of us, or a lot of us, maybe we have a tendency to lean on one aspect of that truth or the other more than, you know, major on one or the other. There's dangers, I would say, if we lean on one or the other. So, for example, if we majored on Father God, but not including Almighty it can lead us to just living without a reverence and a sense of fear before him because we rely on this almighty father. And actually, we can maybe even doubt that God can do all things and even answer because he might be willing, but he might not be able. So the danger of us leaning on God father is that we can go down that route. But if we major on God almighty, we can end up just being really fearful and not you know, worried that we might get something wrong or step out of line, and, and our whole life, kind of is God going to just zap us with a lightning bolt? And we can think, God is just this distant God who has no interest. But if we grasp both sides of it, we can walk in symmetry, Father and Almighty. We need both. And maybe, maybe you know, if you're aware that you tend to lean on one or the other, I would encourage you, take steps to address that. Take steps to address that. Dwell on relevant passages. Something that I found useful over the years, I've just brought it in, I've just got a simple exercise book that I've taken different names of God and I've looked up creator and I've looked up Bible verses that refer to God being creator, all powerful, holy. I've kind of gone through different names of of God and I've jotted down. You might find doing an exercise like that would help you to address and redress in balance like that. Reading those Father God statements from the cards, maybe if you know you need to dwell more on, on, and get your understanding around God being Father God, take time to dwell on those things. If it's understanding God as Almighty God, you know, look at books like The Heaven Proclaims. Get out on, a, on an evening and look at the stars. Take a walk in the countryside. Listen to the birds and think, who is behind this? Get proactive in redressing. If you know there's an imbalance in your understanding, be proactive in that. I think also dwelling on the statement that we've got here brings clarity. You know, if, if we consider Father being, God being Father but not Almighty, we can think, well, he's no judge at all. We can do what we like. Actually, that's a faulty view of God anyway, because if he really is Father, he loves us. And he loves things and he wants things to be right. And a godly love will lead to justice prevailing. If we dwell on almighty, but not father, we have that idea, well, he's like an absent landlord. He's, he's made everything and he just walked away. But if we have a grasp of both sides, we can walk healthily and have clarity. And I think it also has implications for us, finally, as community. Because God's called us to be for one another to support one another, all different backgrounds. You look around this room, all different ages and backgrounds, jobs, careers, all sorts of different things, and yet we've come together. How is that even possible? It's because He's Father Almighty. We have one Father, and He brings us together intensely personal, <coughs> infinitely powerful. So, today we've been thinking about God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, our Father who loves and is willing to act and able to act. Now, As I said, each week we're going to spend just a couple of minutes declaring the Apostles' Creed together. So what I'm going to ask you to do, if you feel comfortable to do this please, and able to, please will you stand and we're going to join in together in this. <laughs> if you're not a Christian here, that's fine. You can just sit or you can stand and just watch us as we do it. But this is something I believe will do us good as we regularly do this. Well, I just encourage you over the coming week to keep coming back being still and know that God is good. Have that creed with you. Maybe take time to read that regularly. We're going to finish our time together by singing one final song. So if the band can come up. Now let's stand and worship Father God Almighty.